Hello and welcome to Schneider Electric's podcast for everyday extraordinary healthcare. This is a new series in which we will explore the latest challenges and solutions facing healthcare facility operations. One of the most extraordinary feats for healthcare is keeping people safe and secure. The coronavirus pandemic has created unprecedented challenges for healthcare organizations. You know, it impacts their core mission. Healthcare facilities must simultaneously support efforts to maintain continuity of care for patients, but also while redesigning their environments to protect them against the unknown. And that is the focus of today's show. We're going to talk about resiliency in healthcare and what is that definition and how has it changed this year due to the coronavirus. So today we're going to have Judith Sands join us. Judith is a clinical health professional, author and facilitator of a 25-member forum that we had for healthcare professionals. So welcome, Judith. Thanks. It's been an honor to facilitate this knowledge stream. Fantastic. So when you were having this stream with these healthcare professionals, you know, what were some of the key lessons learned about the pandemic? And when they were thinking of the pandemic and the future of healthcare, what were the common themes that came out of the forum? The healthcare professionals in our forum were unanimous in their views that when it comes to meeting non-clinical challenges, we must look more broadly beyond just the traditional maintenance, testing, and redundancies. Hospitals should be assessing contingency plans for surviving a disruption in service, financial management, and flexibility in things like layout and operation. Events like natural or man-made disasters and the pandemic have forced them to think of incorporating resilience in every process within the facility, all the way from initial response to continuity of operations as the events unfold. That's really interesting. Whenever I thought about resiliency, it's, it's always been to do with continuity of care, thinking about how we keep that power and operations working. So hearing that flexibility and the layout of their operations was a key concern. It's interesting. So, you know, when we think of the definition of resiliency, what was the definition that really came from this group? Well, to our panel, resilience means having the ability to anticipate and study the full scope of potential adverse events that can affect their health system, along with the infrastructure to resist, absorb, or recover from each crisis. And COVID has really brought this to the forefront. So they talked a lot about the different procedures that you know are in place today. I mean, we do have standards around resiliency and you know how we design facilities, but are they starting or did they address the acceleration of this during the forum? Accelerated is definitely the right word to use because there is so much that was unanticipated and juggling between the non-clinical operations and the need to meet the clinical needs of patients. Yeah, and maintenance is, is critically important, especially around what I call non-core services in healthcare that really make the operations work. And there's a really interesting statistic out there that shows that one-third of all electronic health record disruptions are actually caused by power outages. You know, and disruptions to this can definitely lead to negative patient outcomes and delay in treatment. So, Judith, thank you very much for joining us. That was a great summary. Thank you for your time. Thank you.
Well, luckily, with today's increasingly smart facility management systems, achieving a high level of hospital resilience is possible. And we're lucky today to have Chris Needham joining us, who's the solutions lead for the UK and Ireland. But Chris has also spent a considerable amount of time working in the National Health Service in the UK as a facility and estates director. So Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. So as we've heard from the panel, resiliency efforts, you know, have really been accelerated because of this pandemic. But resiliency has always been important in healthcare, you know, natural disasters, outages, etc. So when you were working in the NHS, what sort of initiatives were you looking at and thinking about in short term and also for longer term for improving the resiliency of your facilities? Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to try and answer that, Chris. I mean, resiliency and the need for contingency and contingency planning, of course, is absolutely nothing new. And I've been involved in that in a number of guises, a number of different roles over the years. I mean, nowadays we have smarter FM systems, so we're able to access better information to understand our asset base and the capacities and the performance. And importantly, it's conditioned probably better than we've ever been able to do before but it's really important when we're considering the whole topic of resilience to think of a whole systems approach and that's always been the case what i would say is that the focus given to resiliency and contingency planning over the last few months given the global pandemic has really focused everybody's attention on this as a particular subject we've always done it but not to the level that we are currently seeing across the globe. So it's a whole systems approach. And we need to think about things like hazards, about what what are the likely types of emergencies, things like the potential for surge capacity. But also, if we think about resilience in its broader sense, we can think about non-malicious events and also malicious threats too. Because, of course, healthcare systems in themselves are clearly systems, but they're part of a bigger system too. So here in the UK, I mean, over the years, I I was involved in things like civil contingency planning as well, where we'd involve a multidisciplinary approach through both the military, the National Health Service, the public sector, the local authorities, etc., so that we bring a holistic view to the subject of resiliency and emergency planning. But if we think about a specific issue around resilient facilities, then we need to think about things like robustness, about redundancy in systems, and about reconfigurability. And that's become increasingly important, incredibly important over the last few months with the surge in demand for healthcare facilities. So we think about this as a whole system, but of course it all starts really with an understanding of risks and the ability to assess those risks and to understand and identify gaps in our capacity to manage during a crisis. And that in turn means that we have to give consideration to anticipating events and preparing for them. So even things like our supply chain arrangements, our procurement arrangements, to if possible preventing them And then when they do occur, responding to them, because there is nothing surer that complex systems or complex events uh, will occur at some point. We have to be able to respond to them. And of course, once we have had those disruptions, we also need to be able to recover from that disruptions in whatever part of the business that they affect. So it's incredibly important that we think about this topic strategically and that we plan. And clearly, the enabler to good planning 
is good solid information and we need to understand about our people their capacity their expertise their availability our processes our resources our physical resources and and intellectual resources as well the experience that we have available to us or even simple things like comms capability in the event of a failure of a comms network and of course our infrastructure and what's very important is that we take all of that knowledge and information we train our staff we raise their awareness and that we practice our processes and procedures and test the infrastructure and our response to any particular instance and we need to build in responsiveness to changing events so that only can happen in a multidisciplinary response sense but what i would say in terms of fm and resilience is clearly risk mitigation is, is key to this and information is absolutely essential in order for us to both plan and to again respond to any circumstance that may actually arise. You've picked up on, on a few points there, especially this year where we've seen the surge in terms of you know patient types coming in with infectious disease in hospitals and the demand that we've seen there. I mean, when we think about flexible healthcare facilities, how did you plan for changing types of patients coming into an area? You know, if you had an emergency accident, an emergency center, were you capable of changing that into, say, negative pressure environments? And what was your strategy around that? So in terms of contingency planning for all of the various eventualities, like a, a large, let's say a large transport incident where we, we're, we're receiving lots of casualties through, through the doors. Yes, we did have a plan. We did understand our infrastructure and what we could do with that in case we did have an influx, let's say, of infectious patients. And there was a mitigation plan, and it was a system-wide mitigation plan which shifted capacity from those areas where we had specialist services, so some of the higher dependency areas, so theatres, intensive care, coronary care units, where we were able to make those specific changes, or, or things like theatre recovery zones, for example, mm -hmm. where we had a high level of understanding, but also high levels of mechanical electrical infrastructure that we were able to modify based on a planned understanding of what we would do in those situations. So we would free up the resource and the capacity in those areas by moving not less critical patients into other facilities or other parts of the hospital. Okay. And you mentioned, you know, having that infrastructure, that holistic infrastructure in place. So obviously, you know, when you're planning and designing these new facilities, it's critical that these contingencies are, are thought ahead of time so that you can have that adaptable infrastructure, say, on your mechanical system. It's absolutely, it's absolutely essential. And, it, and if I kind of rewind to some of my kind of past events, you know, I've had a number of events where we've had failures within infrastructure and we, the mode of the failure was unexpected, but because we had information about it and we had expertise in the team and i think because uh, lady luck was shining on us at the time that those people were available that we were able to respond and adapt and, and respond flexibly to the various circumstances that occurred what i would say is that clearly vesting all of that information in individuals in that experience and relying on them in the, the event of a, an issue a, a major occurrence of some description is really quite risky because they are not necessarily the right people available to respond in the right way at the right time. So people go on holiday, people leave, people retire. You know, we've 
try and retrain people, but you do lose expertise through those routes. And I think that's what's really front of my mind now is about how do we elicit and maintain and understand exactly what's happening across our infrastructure so that if something, a set of occurrences, a set of circumstances arise which demand a response, we know exactly what we can do. And that, for me, is enabled by a lot of the new technology that we're seeing available to us today. So that we can have complete visibility of our asset availability, its status, its performance and its condition. We don't have to rely on people being on site all the time because we now have the facility for remote monitoring and remote operation and interventions. Power reliability, which of course all of our systems depend upon in order to both provide healthcare facilities in, in the first instance, but all of the IT and the diagnostics and the labs and everything that happens in and the catering, everything that happens in hospital is entirely reliant on power reliability. And our ability to now understand that better and what's happening across the network because of the internet of things and, and the availability of data and information provides us with an opportunity to be even more robust in terms of power reliability. Yeah, and that, that that leads into kind of two areas I want want to ask you, and definitely with technology. I'm, I mean, you know, I've seen technology change since when I started in the industry, and I'm sure you have as well. Yeah. When we look back at the discussions that you'd have had with a lot of the panel, when we're thinking of resiliency, it's about you know being predictive around our maintenance strategies. So, how do you see technology is helping us to do that, and do you think it's making us more resilient just by using these types of systems? I absolutely do. Because, and again, the ability to understand exactly what's happening within a very complex infrastructure and systems of systems is the key to making decisions about what to do next, how to respond. So the, the ability to pinpoint through the use of data and advanced analytics and machine learning, and in our case, our advisory level, gives us the ability to not only understand what's happening across the network, but what's likely to happen given the sets of circumstances and the way in which the network is performing and the condition of that network, we're now able to have insights so that we can begin to be much more proactive as opposed to reactive. So we can deal with issues as we see them arising that have the potential to cause us particular issues like service interruptions or power outages and to respond to them, to plan to deal with them before they become a problem and we end up in a reactive mode again. Because mm. you mentioned earlier about the resource, they might be on holiday, they might have retired, and you lose, lose a lot of knowledge just by you know being in that facility for a number of years. Absolutely. So with the technology and having these, you know, you mentioned remote operations, ha- having this kind of third pair of eyes looking on that facilities, it's really critical for a building like a hospital. It's absolutely critical. And the reason that I say that is because even when you have your full contingent, when you have all of your experienced staff available to you, even when you've got your full contingent, they can only be in one place at one time. And what technology now permits us to do is to look at every aspect of all of the infrastructure, be it mechanical or electrical, pretty much in real time, 24-7-365. So we've got a watching brief, and then we have a level of intelligence placed on top of that which of course comes from experiential learning and, and, and of course artificial intelligence based on scenario planning. 
And that absolutely would reassure me as a, an estates or FM director that we have much more resilience in terms of our people and their ability to not just respond to, but to prevent unplanned events or outages. Mm. Now, w- with that technology, now I know it brings significant value in terms of how we do predictive maintenance, how we get better insights into that facility. But un- unfortunately, and we've seen this in the in the news over the last few weeks that, you know, with cyber attacks and unwanted people getting into that network is a, is a concern. Obviously, you probably didn't experience this when you were working in the NHS, but how real of a concern is that for facility operators who may not be this technically advanced in terms of other types of infrastructure? Well, it's a real concern. And I think that's when uh, having that level of understanding that the reliance upon IT, I mean, remember, IT isn't new. Some of the technology that we have now has been around for a little while. There's some emerging technology, which is fantastic. But we've been reliant on IT for a very long time. And we understand the impact of that. I'll give you a real life example of a a non-malicious issue. In my last organisation, we were two general hospitals, probably 20 miles apart, with a mega stream link, two mega stream links between the two hospitals for a contingency, for redundancy, to support all of the IT networks across those two hospitals. This, that, that IT infrastructure was the foundation of everything that happened in the hospital. There was a fire in one of the local towns which took out a telecommunications network connection and it took down both of our mega streams across those two hospitals. So there was a, a huge issue associated with that. And we learned an awful lot from that because that was a non-malicious threat that we weren't aware of. But equally, so the focus on IT and its importance within an organization is absolutely paramount. And that includes cybersecurity. And that's why it's really important to get expert advice and to wrap the whole issue of IT and cybersecurity together and deal with it collectively, deal with it as an issue so that there's a strategy and a plan and everybody understands how they can contribute to ensuring that your site is cyber secure. Hmm. And this is the holistic approach you mentioned. So, you know, where we now approach digitization of your electrical, your HVAC systems, you know, we now need to work a lot closer with the IT departments to make sure that we're not causing any vulnerabilities with that design of the system. Absolutely right. Operational technologies and operational processes and IT are now uh, intrinsically linked together. Uh, You cannot separate the two things. And that's why it's really important that we recognise and that we have to work very closely with our traditionally outside those traditional silos and recognise that we need to embrace everything IT and to deal with it as a whole system approach. Fantastic. Well, Chris, always appreciate your your knowledge and your wisdom. So thanks for joining the show. You're very welcome. It's great to catch up with you. The final segment of our program is the Country Spotlight. And today we're going to be focusing on the Pacific region. Um, And we have today Val Joveski, who is the healthcare segment director for that region. Val, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. So a little bit about what's been happening in in your region in 2020. I know it's been an interesting year, maybe not impacted as much as the US and in Europe. But what, what have you really been seeing happening in Australia and in the other regions? 
Yeah, look, you're, you're absolutely right. COVID-19 has really brought a new normal to the way we live in this country. We have been a little bit more fortunate that we haven't suffered as much as other countries. And I think that's been down to some good planning by the government. What has been interesting this year is a realisation that when the panic button was hit, a lot of these facilities that are assumed that it had been in good working order very quickly discovered that that wasn't the case. And it identified a lot of weaknesses in their strategy, in their asset management strategy. Facilities that were assumed to be able to move from positive pressure to negative pressure, you know, couldn't do so. And that put a lot of pressure on finding additional bed space or making ready for additional bed space. Even though it wasn't used, it was about that readiness. So for us as, a, as an organisation, what it highlighted that we had to change tack very quickly and change the narrative that we were having with our clients. And it was very much around, can we come in there and do an audit of your systems, whether they be mechanical or electrical, and really determine were they actually ready to take on any situation. So that was really a, a big eye-opener. Something you take for granted became the norm for us. And, you know, we, we started to put in some really good preparedness plans around having enough stock of essential hardware and parts in case things failed. I guess that was never fully tested because we didn't have that explosion of cases, I guess, as other countries experienced. That may have painted a different picture for us. However, you know, we managed to get through that quite well and without too much incidents. So with those facilities, was it was it a case of things like resiliency hadn't been thought out when it was designed or was it more a case of, you know, the infrastructure was, was kind of aging and maybe some of the maintenance activities had, had lapsed a little? I think there's, there's a bit of everything there. So, you know, I think the intent of the designs were always there. Whether they were carried out or executed is another story because, you know, some of the uh, one incidents where, you know, one hospital, as I said, wanted to move from positive pressure to negative pressure in a ward. When our techs went in there, it was discovered that the dampers weren't actually installed in the first place. So even though the design called that out for that capability to be available, it was never actually installed. It was never checked. So, you know, that that's one particular instance. We also found that a lot of the public hospitals, particularly in Australia, are very old. I mean, you're, you're talking a good majority, upwards of, of 60 to 70% of the public hospitals are approaching that life cycle of 40 to 50 years. So they are ageing assets. You know, the term sweating the assets, I think, has probably been overstepped a little bit because we're now at the point where things are failing. So there's no such thing as doing maintenance on, on an asset. It's we'll sweat the asset until it fails and then we'll replace it. So that that's probably been also another area where we've been able to change the discussion with some of the hospitals saying the costs associated with replacing far outweigh your regular maintenance because you could potentially extend the life cycle of a lot of your technology rather than waiting for it to stop totally and then and then having to spend money replacing it altogether. Because I, I mean, I, I know in the Australian market particularly, you know, your level of digital transformation is pretty high compared to, you know, some of the other regions that we've worked with. So was that acceptance to kind of digitize the infrastructure to help them? Was that kind of welcomed by the facilities? Yeah, very much so. I think, I think you know, we hear a lot of talk around digitization in medical care. 
there's a lot of focus in that. But the other area of digitization is in the operating technologies that run these facilities. And there is a real acceptance now that the two go hand in hand. There's no, in the view of the hospital, everything has to work. So from our perspective, you know, we, we've been preaching about digitization in operating technologies for a very long time. You know, we've talked a lot about digital twins of late, you know, really being that bridge that links the, the operating technology world with the clinical IT world. And the reason why we do that is to try and use technologies that enable for a more efficient hospital. That seems to resonate a lot more these days. We're starting to see a lot of that come through the designs for some of the newer hospitals. We don't have as many digital hospitals in Australia. We, we've probably got about three or four that I would rate on a HIMSS rating of five or six and above compared to maybe other parts of the world where they've embraced technology far sooner in terms of driving more out of their facilities. Okay. Yeah, I think it was a, a term that I heard when I was in Australia was it was healthcare without walls, which was really <laughs> about connecting that IT and OT technology and, you know, just having that collaboration across the facilities and the clinical teams. There is, and, and look, there are proponents for going the other way as well. People want to air gap a lot of their technology as well. You know, they want to separate the clinical world from the facility world. And, and there are pros and falls for that strategy as well. But on the most of it, we are seeing a lot more people welcoming and embracing the world that it's all one. It's not separated as such. It's it's leveraging one common infrastructure. It's leveraging the same systems and logons and user interfaces that people are accustomed to. So, for example, clinical staff, the way they connect to their patient information information around the facility is also uploaded in a similar fashion or, or provided to support a lot of that models of care that they provide to patients. I think we've seen that this year more evident than ever before. I mean, I've, I've been in HVAC for almost 20 years and none of my family would ever talk about negative pressure rooms and no. how that really impacts the patient journey, etc. But I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes as to the importance of understanding the condition of the patient, but also understanding the condition of the environments that we're in. So that, that need to have those connected systems is really important. Well, it's given us an, a real opportunity to highlight how efficient technology can be in terms of being more predictive around, you know, breakdowns, areas of non-conformance. You know, people talk about artificial intelligence in managing big data around predicting better health outcomes. Well, the same can be said in terms of assets around the hospital. Analytics, AI predominantly, is now pretty much embedded in a lot of technology where, where rather than the old days of you turning up the site as a service technician and going through a checklist of this is what I'm going to do today, this is what I'm going to maintain, now we're able to turn around and say, well, no, don't spend your time over there because that equipment's actually okay go and spend it over here because the information, the data sets that we're getting from the field seem to indicate that there's going to be a fault over there very shortly. So we're now able to spend our and focus our time and energy on addressing the areas that are going to have an impact on the hospital operations rather than spending our time based on a checklist. I think that for me has probably been this process has, has really allowed us to demonstrate to the hospital users how better to use that technology in a much more functional way. So rather than just 
sweating the assets it's a case of let's let's understand those assets and then let's focus where we need to have the the attention to really make sure that facility is safe and resilient oh absolutely i mean these days especially with the you know technology that schneider provides and the software platforms that we have you know we're able to do monitoring of vsds and vibration analysis of pumps we're able to do performance of you know mechanical plant or electrical plant and really hone in onto the specific assets that actually are causing an interruption in service or even the field sensors, for example. Being able to do that across the entire facility has really, I think, put the power back in to the hands of the, the hospital operators and giving them a much more comfortable driver's seat of their facility than what they had previously. So if nothing else, this is really, you know, this whole COVID process has given us a chance to reset. The narrative has changed with the hospitals, the understanding within the hospitals of how important and how critical these assets are, particularly in a pandemic. Being able to be agile and adapt to the conditions, who knows, there there may be another COVID-19 pandemic in a few years' time. For us in Australia, it's it's all about being ready for the next wave. Now, whether it comes or not, I think, is, is not the point. It's being able to be prepared to, you know, be able to adapt to the conditions is probably, you know, one of the biggest areas of everyone's time at the moment. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we, we don't come to these future pandemics, but at least facilities will be ready for when things like this happen. So, Val, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always good to hear uh, your insights and your knowledge from the market. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Well, so thanks for listening to this episode um, of Schneider Electric's podcast for everyday extraordinary healthcare. Join us in the next coming weeks as we'll explore some additional aspects of driving resiliency in healthcare. <laughs>